The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. This morning's message, as you can read here on the screen, is identification for the spiritual area of life. And uh, we first want to welcome our online listeners. Okay, and this is number two of the spiritual area of life, which is identification. Now, identification is, to give you the quickest word picture I possibly could give you on this, is identification is even from the Latin, if we look at the Latin, it is I, comma, dent, comma. Ident what? You see? What has made the biggest impact? What has put the biggest dent in your life? That is the best way to remember identification. It is the process of looking at what has made the biggest dent or impact in your life. If your identification is your flesh life or something within your flesh life, that is your confession of saying that the biggest dent in my life is this thing. But if it is Christ Jesus who has made the biggest dent in your life, your identification is in Christ Jesus. That's how this works. So let's let's start to uh, piece this down a little bit. And I want to start by looking at the great incarnation that we have in Christ Jesus. So without question, the greatest event in all of history for God and man is the incarnation, which is God, the infinite creator, sustainer, taking on human flesh, becoming a man upon this earth, died for us, crucified the old nature, and placed his very life Inside the Bride of Christ. The actual uh, process of procreation, if I could use that word to protect the little ears, the process of procreation is the physical demonstration of incarnation in the Bride of Christ. Do you understand that? Christ in you. He puts his very life inside you. He deposits the seed of righteousness. There are scriptures that actually tell us the seed of righteousness is in the indwelt believer. Procreation is simply a physical demonstration of this truth. Whatever is true in the natural, God uses the natural things to help us understand the supernatural. They're not separate worlds. It's like marriage. Marriage is an open, outward symbol of our marriage with Christ. Christ will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Which is, Christ will never divorce you. The security of salvation is because of the security of our marriage with Christ. Those who do not believe in security of salvation, oftentimes you'll find in their churches the support of divorce. You'll actually have pastors approving of divorces under certain reasons. That's where all that comes from. But you are staring at the basics of salvation. And the reason why the God of the universe would actually show up in physical flesh of man. And then literally die and take our old nature with him and pin it on the other side of the cross. So that we too could be crucified with Christ. The truth that is so simple but made complex through the morbid beliefs of fallen man. You see, I am really not that interested in listening to these wannabe theologians or true theologians or just believers in Christ Jesus who love studying the Bible. I'm really not interested in their opinion about the Scriptures. 
I'm interested in their the way that they are literally living out their marriages. The way that they are living out the physical realm. That's why we start with the physical in our teachings. Then we move to the spiritual. Because the physical is the greatest confession of what you believe. That is your confession. You are the only Bible that many people will ever open and read. And you can tell people to read the Bible. You can give them free Bibles. But I'm telling you, the primary Bible that they're going to read is your life. And that's the facts. All over the world, this is the case. In fact, as you know, 67% of the entire world still can't read the Bible. But they have the gospel because of people's lives that have been transformed and they're watching these people's lives and that is their Bible. That is the gospel. That is the testimony that they are embracing is what they see in the physical realm. If you talk about your identity in Christ before we talk about the physical identity that you have in Christ, then we are going to mislead you. Because what you'll do is you'll become one of these Christians who masters the art of explaining the exchange life. But you have no clue what it really means. The world is filled with preachers who have mastered the art of sharing the gospel. But they're no more powerful than that doorknob. If you turn them, they'll work. The whole world is filled with these teachers. Do you understand that? But they have absolutely no clue of this basic, simple message of the incarnation of our husband, who is God. And actually was put inside of a fleshly, sinful body of Mary through the seed of God of righteousness. And then he turns around and says, He indwells the bride. He comes inside the bride and deposits the seed of righteousness. It is replicating what the Father has done. It is proving incarnation. If you walk up to ten Christians on the street this week and ask them to please explain the incarnation of Jesus Christ, how many really do you think are going to be able to explain it? But most Christians don't even know what the word means. The ones who do know what it means, I'd like to ask them, can you explain to me the full incarnation of Jesus Christ and how it affects us dying with Him? The seed of righteousness could not be placed within our mortal being until there was this beautiful little area of our lives that was purified, sanctified, redeemed, and made alive. The spiritual area of life. So the last messages, the seven messages we covered, was under the physical area. Now we're moving to the spiritual. Then we'll move over to the psychological. Why spend time talking about the psychology of the human race and how it is to embrace the identity that we're supposed to have in Jesus Christ if you do not understand your identity. From the Hebrew, we have incarnation. Okay, who would like to be a Hebrew kid today? And what we have is kaf, gimel, lemed, gimel again, vav, and lamed. Which if each of those, if we look at the Hebrew word pictures... Kaf, for example, is to cover, to open, to, to allow. Gimel is the camel, which is to lift up. Or, you know, you put a magi, you put a king, you put camels back in those days was to lift up, to show off your stuff, basically. And that's why pride comes from that. And Lemed, which is the cattle goad, which is that little stick that pokes to get the cows moving. And then you have uh, Gimel again, and then Vav is the nails or the peg to add or to secure something. And here's what we got. To open or birth what is lifted up, who is our authority that is secured. Now I want to remind you, this is Hebrew. 
This is Old Testament. It is amazing to me, it continues to amaze me that the Hebrew is constantly setting us up to understand the new covenant, the life of Christ. Incarnation in the Hebrew to open or to birth what is lifted up. So basically what we're looking at here is to birth Jesus Christ, who is our authority, who is our husband, that has been secured by his own father. The way you secure something is you nail it down. And the way God secured obedience for the sake of our victory was to nail him and secure him to the cross. You look at how cruel the Romans were so there could be no fudging while you were hanging on the cross. Your legs were bound and nailed to this cross. Your arms were roped and nailed to this cross. And they had the whole thing set up in such a way that every time you let the pressure off of your feet, you start suffocating. And we all say how cruel that the Romans were. Well, I'm here to tell you that all this was to work together for the good. His suffering produced true living ability to be obedient. You can't even have faith without Jesus Christ going through this process. Being secured, being nailed down for our sake. 1 Timothy 3.16 to review our passage for today. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed, opened in the flesh, was vindicated, lifted up in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and then taken up in glory. The truth is, Jesus will not come back for us, his bride, until every single nation is aware of who he is. And right now, there's someone in the lead. Who is it? There's two of them primarily, and both of them are claiming to be the world religion, but Allah. The Muslims are claiming to be the world fastest, they are the world's fastest growing religion, according to statistics, but they claim to be the religion for the entire world. And if you do not convert to Islam, you shall be called an infidel. And if you are called an infidel, you are going to have to shed your own blood for the sake of redemption for them. Then you have another religion out there that's claiming to be the author and finisher of universalism, and that is the Catholic Church. Well, they did start the ecumenical movement. The ecumenical movement actually came out of the ecumenical society that was formed in the 1300s by the Catholic Church. And the World Council of Churches was birthed from the ecumenical council which is directly managed by a group of pastors from all over the world who are leaders in each of the denominations. There's a few denominations that say, I refuse to be a part of this universalism, but uh, most have joined the universal church. So all someone has to do is just turn the dial one more click. See, one more click at 1% in 10 years is 10% off. A hundred years, it could be 180 degrees. That's the whole principle of just one click at a time. And sooner or later, you will see the world completely change before you and you think, in fact, as I have heard quite frequently over the past couple of weeks because of the government freeze and probably we're going to go into default here on Thursday, if we go into default, then China is able to come and take the property that is rightfully theirs if we don't pay our debt. Stuff like that about to happen while well, you're hearing Christians going, wow, the end times are on us. 
The end times have been on us since Jesus took his last breath. It's just one click at a time. You're just now starting to notice that initial 1% is way over here and you're like, whoa. Finances and the end times are upon us today. No, they've been upon us since Jesus flipped the tables in the temple. But we just, we ignore it as long as we have food on the table. And I mean, we were affected by this. We were right in the middle of closing on a house and government closed and so did our process. I mean, there are people, friends of ours, that work for the government and they're not going to be paid. They get notices in the mail that say, I owe you. Do you understand that if our country goes in default that every one of those federal workers are finished? Unemployment will go from the percentages it's at right now, which is the worst it's been in a very long time, full-time employees into part-time employees. So now the unemployment is if the country goes into default, is literally going to throw the entire nation into a downward spiral that it will require a power outside of America to save it. Are you with me? Thus, our present president has accomplished his goal of neutralizing America to be just as poverty-stricken as Liberia. We're equal. The plan is going just as it's supposed to go. It's all going according to plan. There's no way of getting out of this downward spiral once it happens. Isn't that what we teach in discipleship? Isn't that what we've been teaching from the pulpit? It's if you crawl up the, this downward spiral in self-effort, God gets out his little oil gun and he just oils the slide. So that you do slide down into that dark hole so that you process death and you come alive. Well, the same thing works for countries. The same thing worked for Jesus Christ. He just didn't apply self-effort to try to bail himself out of this downward process he was in. Your sins were, were actually the oil for the slide. To help Jesus Christ slide into that tomb, that dark place. And while he was in that dark place, he went to the pit of hell and paid the price for everyone's sins. What he went through was never disclosed. And my guess is, it never will be disclosed. True Hebrew law does not involve the bride in the dark aspects that a leader is responsible for carrying. It never was proper. And that's why we know in the end times, we can safely say the bride of Christ will not see the battle of Armageddon. We will be sheltered from seeing this. And I know there's some uh, believers out there that believe we're going to have a sword in hand. We're going to be clocking away with the angels busting away at these demonic beings that have assaulted the bride of Christ all these generations. But I'm here to tell you, I doubt it. Because Hebrew law is that women are not to see destruction. Do you remember when Lot's wife was told when she was still in the town that the angel told uh, Lot to tell his wife, someone want to finish what the mandate was to... Lot's wife, do not turn around. He could. Men are supposed to see destruction. He could, but she could not. Women are not to see their husbands or their fathers deal with the vengeance of how that sin affected his wife and his daughters. But she did. She wanted to get at you know, a taste of you got your own. What you did to my family, you... She, she wanted to see that those people were, were dealt with. And she turned into a pillar of salt. We are not called by God as the bride of Christ to see this destruction. We're to warn about it today. 
so that all the bridal members have oil in their lamp and their garments are clean, white, prepared, ready for the wedding feast. That's what we're called to do. Okay, let's talk about the great act of God. This confession and incarnation, this profound mystery that was literally revealed in the flesh by the birth of Jesus Christ, was the greatest act of God for man. Seriously, can you think of something that was greater than this? Okay, this is the truth and this is the principle that puts us at risk when we are talking with a Muslim person. We're actually saying here, first of all, that Jesus Christ is Allah's Son. Secondly, we're saying that not only is He His Son, He is God. Oh, well, that's, that's not good news for them. Then, number three, we say, God lives inside the mortal being of these Christians. So all three elements of the exchanged life are the absolute worst for the Muslims. To just say that God is, came to us in the flesh is enough to be murdered by them. Then to say Allah lives inside you, talks inside you, uses the human brains, uses their gestures, uses their footprints. Oh, that's just beyond blasphemy to them. Of course we have to die. It's the foundation of who we are. The incarnation of God is our foundation. And it's the number one thing that they will murder someone for, if you say it. So when I get messages from Muslim bloc countries saying that the Islamic nation worldwide hates hearing these truths and principles because we're actually making a claim that Allah lives inside of our mortal bodies. Well, no matter what country you're in this morning or this evening, whenever you're listening to this podcast, I'm here to tell you, at the price of death, and I can easily say that sitting in U.S. of A., but I'm telling you, there are countries, there are people listening to this podcast right now who know the price of teaching the exchanged life. It is death. The average lifespan after you start publicly proclaiming the life of Christ living inside you is one week if you're in a Muslim neighborhood. One week. We are shortening the lifespan because of persecution over people fighting over the foundational message of the exchange life. Christ in you. Not I, but Christ lives in me. So what is the significance of this? Pretty simple. It means that the incarnation was the pattern by which God would continue to show Himself to human flesh, in human flesh. By means of indwelling selected humans, and I repeat, selected humans, to become the bride for His Son. I would love it if we could say that all humans who have an interest in Jesus Christ, who have an interest in God the Father, who have an interest in the Holy Spirit, are going to have this incarnation inside their mortal bodies. They won't. My guess is 90% of the interested people who say they have an interest in Jesus Christ, they have an interest in God the Father, they have an interest in, in the Bible and what it's got to say, and they go and get degrees about it, they go and share about it, they go and explore the possibilities, are simply going to go to hell. And they think because of their interest, they have secured their salvation. Interest is nothing more than what Satan is. Satan knows more about the scriptures than your average Christian wannabe. You see, knowing or having an interest or fascination with, with scriptural truths does nothing for you but make you an educated fool. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? Educated fool. Knowing him doesn't come from studying a book. 
Knowing Him comes from the incarnation of God Himself who comes to indwell the human body so they can become the bride for His Son so that He can breathe His life in and through you much like a married couple has when they are procreating. Breathing in and out until that life is produced. No, that is not how we typically teach and preach the gospel today. We door knock, we force people on their knees, we make them feel guilty, they pray the prayer, they think they're locked and loaded, and then toward the end of their lives, they come to realize that none of it worked for them. The only evidence of salvation is you shall know them by their fruit, know them by their Deeds, know them by their love. Those who endure to the end shall be saved. You can talk to me about your love life with Jesus Christ all day long. I may not say it to you to your face, but I will not be impressed. I lived through the 70s. I know it throwing love around like it's some kind of cheap rice at a wedding. That is not the value of salvation. Or if your deeds, you say, well, I've been a good person and I've been a pew setter and I've given my money to the church and I've been deeds, deeds, deeds. I may not say it to your face, but I will not be impressed. And then the fruit. Do you know that out of Washington, D.C., it's already standardized that unsaved, unsaved, non-Christian marriages last longer than Christian marriages. I mean, even in saying that, a lot of our listeners are going to go on, well, that's kind of interesting. We lead more people to hell than we do to heaven. By the physical, by the observation of what they're seeing in the bride of Christ. Well, I have to ask the question, are they true bridal members? When the statistics of unsaved people are better than Christians? What happened to us? They can hang on to their marriages longer with deeds and fruit than we can? What has happened to us? I'll tell you what's happened to us. The body of Christ is spoiled, rotten. We use scriptures like there's some kind of permission to do things. And we dig at verses to prove our points and to say, well, God said that this and God said that and we need... we. And they just continue to show the reasoning for breaking the mandates of God. Whereas unsaved people, they have enough respect for what is right and wrong that they've figured out, you know, divorce is really not healthy, so I'm not going to do it. There's no Jesus in them. And the actual indwell believers are having a hard time qualifying in their own lives the most basic truths of who they are in Christ. They're a dent in Christ. All humans, both male and female, become potential receivers of the internal provision of eternal woman, which is the bride of Christ. So we have internal male, internal husband, so that we can become eternal women. That's why men need to watch their women and how they respond to Christ. Because we're males. We need to be taught. It's not normal for us. Whereas women are born women, they're born again women, and they they are eternal women. Whereas men are born men, we are converted into women, bride of Christ, to become eternal women. So while we're on earth, we need to learn from our wives. Our wives need to be setting in an example of how the church is supposed to be functioning so that their husbands who are rebellious to the word can be one to the word without a word, without a word, but by their just and pure physical. Actually says by their just and pure behavior. In other words, men are going to learn to grow in Christ more by watching the physical than they are the internal. 
That's what Peter was saying to these gals. No, what it did is it created a revolution within women. To say, uh-uh, we're not starting here. You know, it's always about the woman's got to change. Not going to do it. Read my lips. I'm going to sue you. It's called a divorce. And that's what happened. First female divorce wasn't until, in Europe, was not until the 1400s. Did not become even popular in Europe until the late 1800s. It was illegal in America for a woman to divorce a man until 1941, actually. What happened? How in the world can this stay secure for 2,000 years? What happened? Equal rights is what happened. See, anyone who demands their rights is going to be wrong. And guess what? America is the leading country in the entire world that demands their rights. And what's going to happen in the end? I don't care if you write this down as a quote or not, or if you think, oh, Finney's going to get in trouble for saying this one. I, I don't think I could possibly get any more trouble I've already been in. But I will tell you this, that in the end, America will be the most wrong country in the entire world. This is all going to come back on us. The finances are going to come back. We're going to be the most poverty-stricken nation because of the debt we have. $17 trillion of debt we have to face on Thursday. If you count all the medical and all these sideline areas that we're in debt to, we're at 132.0 something trillion dollars in debt. They are already projecting it will take over 30 generations of taxing every human 50% of what they make for 30 generations to balance the budget. We're never coming out. So some people go, oh, there's Finney and his doomsday thing again. But you know what? For some reason, those of us who are willing to say these things publicly... It just takes a few years and all of a sudden they go, it's in front of us. Well, it's too late. If you don't listen to the teachers of the Word and the prophets early on, by the time it arrives, it's too late. So what you do is you start buying canned food. You start loading up on, on toilet paper. Do you see that how that has moved its way into the spiritual? It's just too late. We get to the point it's just too late to reverse anything. So go buy toilet paper until you die. Go stuff your gold underneath the, underneath the tree in the backyard. It's worthless. That's exactly what Christ warned us of. For your gold and silver shall be worthless. But what have we done? We have wasted our precious valuables on buying gold and silver and trinkets and secure toilet paper. And we're stuffing it under our mattress or we're stuffing it under the tree and we're thinking that that shall save us in the day of judgment. Truth being said, it's worthless. There's coming a day that you cannot buy bread. You cannot do, you can't even trade. And if the government finds out if you're trading stuff, you're going to get in trouble. This is how it's going to be for the Christians. That day is upon us very soon. If we go default on Thursday, we're going to slip in very, very fast. Politicians know it more than the average Christian knows it. They're freaking out in Washington this week. Whether you understand that or not, they are freaking out. Because that debt ceiling, the whole entire world is watching. Because if Congress doesn't agree to that raising that debt ceiling, the whole market value for America was going to go into the dumper. They said in eight days. Eight days it'll take the entire market foundation of America into that black hole. And there's no coming out. You say, oh yes, there are. We're Americans. 
They can knock down our buildings and we shall rise. You want to bet. When you're up against the hand of God and the prophecies of the living Lord and those who self-proclaim to say, I am, I can, I will, I'll survive this. Boy, you are put, you are painting a big red target on your chest by the Lord. People who demand their rights not only end up being wrong, they put other people's lives in that pathway of destruction. The best thing that our country could do is to restore its marriages. Husbands need to get back home to their wives wherever you're at. I don't care if you're in one country and you're running from for whatever your reasons are. You need to get back to that wife, restore your relationship with that wife, and allow God to heal through that marriage. Because the world is seeing the bride of Christ through marriage. If you haven't noticed, that just happens to be the primary area that Satan is attacking. Worldwide. Gay marriages. Well, those of us who have been teaching and preaching, once married, always married, once divorced, always divorced, we could have told you what the next step was. From our marriage diagrams from 15 years ago, I pulled those out and I looked at them, and it actually showed the progression that the Lord revealed to me in the, my Hebrew study of marriage is that the next step after divorces is neutrality of dissolving the image of the Trinity. The next step after churches not even believing in the Trinity anymore was homosexual marriages. That wasn't even heard of back then. So I hope you guys are asking yourself this question. What is after homosexual marriages? Should we go back to Sodom and Gomorrah? Why did God nuke them? I mean, that's the term we use today, but I don't know how else to describe this to you. He nuked him. And he told Lot to tell his wife, do not let your woman turn around and look. Because if you are looking at revenge, you will become hard as a pillar of salt. He nuked him. After gay marriages are the norm. There are churches in this community that believe in gay marriages. We have gay pastors globally. And you think God's just kind of covering His eyes saying, no big deal, that's just the way those humans are. Well, then you do not understand the Word of God. We're going to get nuked. He who demands his rights will get a wrong. He who has to be forced to receive a wrong, either they go to repentance or they get nuked. There's no other way to say it. I'm sorry. It sounds horrible. sounds like doomsday. But just wait around a few years, folks, because I'm telling you, you're going to see it. And this has been the most arrogant country in the entire world for long, way too long of a time. And we're about to be humbled. We're about to be spanked. We're about to be disciplined. We're about to be put on a neutral playing field of poverty. If there's any country in the world that pretends to be rich, when in reality we're below the poverty line, it's us. $132 trillion of debt is beyond any human to be able to figure out the ramifications of that. Clearly, most certainly, every indwelt believer has been given the very life of Jesus Christ. The truth and reality of this fact is not only staggering, but impossible to understand without the Holy Spirit making it truth in each of us as indwelt believers. Jesus said to the Father in words of the Old Testament prophecy, Sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. Who, what's, who, what's he talking about here? I mean, the whole Old Testament people are all about what you eat, what you don't eat, sacrifices, made, you know, cutting the lamb. And everything is about this external versus internal. What's he talking about here? What's Jesus saying? This is Old Testament. You know, Jesus knew he was going to be the sacrifice and offering. Why in the world would he put that on the people? That's kind of dumb. So he's saying it's not about this. We got that part covered, right, God? Right, Father? 
father going, yeah, that's you. Well, he already knew that. The body is his bride. This was all about for the father giving him a bridal member. For sure one. But I think there's more than one Christian through the generations. That's, that's what it's about. For thou hast prepared for me, Jesus Christ, his only son, a body for his head, the bride of Christ. It's just too much for us to try to get figured out in our heads, so normally we just ignore it. And it becomes very mysterious. Who is the body that God has prepared for his son? During the incarnation it was his physical body. Then after the ascension it became his temple through the indwelt believers who are now the literal body of Christ. God not only, God, God did not do all that he said he would do to rid the world of sin, but to gain a bride for his beloved son. Here's the purpose of all creation. Today the indwelt believer's body houses the very life and nature of God. This is why our old nature had to be removed from our mortal bodies through the co-death and burial that we receive in Christ Jesus. The old man had to be crucified according to Galatians 2.20. His nature could come and house itself in this final temple, which is us. And this temple or church today is the vessel that he uses to accomplish his work. That's as simple as, really, I can make it. There's a lot of theological elements within that paragraph that it takes literally thousands of people's lives to demonstrate. But that's it. It's why creation, it's why the whole thing happened at, at salvation and the cross and then the 40 days and then the ascension and then the Holy Spirit filling the the disciples, and then going laying hands on people who heard by the hearing of their ears, and then everyone who got saved from that moment on became simply body members to put the head of the church on, which is Jesus Christ. That's it. Now we've got it all sectioned off into denominations, teaching certain things about the Bible while ignoring the other. Here's several points we need to keep in mind. The life and nature which the body of Christ possesses is possessed also by each individual member of the body. We as indwell believers in Christ are all partakers of the divine nature, which is literally the nature of God, which is literally the nature of Christ, which is the exemplification of the Holy Spirit that it gets possessed into our mortal being as indwelled bridal members. And it is this what joins us together as one body and spirit. Second Peter 1 uh, verse 14 says, For by these he has granted to his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And that is human Nature. Since this is true, the indwelt life then is the divine nature expressed in and through human form. First by Jesus Christ himself in human form, the great incarnation. And then secondly, the incarnation that is folded out to the body of Christ. And we literally possess the eternal values of divine nature through incarnation. And I don't know about you, but that's too much for my mind to be able to to understand. I need the Holy Spirit every day of my life revealing what that means exactly. So that means that it is God's life expressed in His Son through the Holy Spirit by means of demonstrating His life through His Son's body, and that's you and I, the church. Old and new nature, one of the main arguments in in the Christian world today is the fight over old and new nature. I get emails almost weekly about this fight. It gets very old. They're just not simply taking the time to embrace the full understanding of the nature of God, incarnation, and how that's put inside into a believer. That is a confession. The warring and confusion and the fighting over the old nature, new nature, is evidence to me they do not understand the power of the 
exchanging life of Christ within. The incarnation life within. The nature of God cannot share a temple with the nature belonging to Satan. That's ridiculous. This is why it had to be put to death. Romans 6.6, 6, Galatians 2.20, it had to be put to death. Satan cannot and will not be given the prerogative to share the throne chair with Jesus Christ. Jesus wouldn't even dare to approach that chair until the nature in that chair dies. You see, any king, great king, knows in order to get rid of the old king, you have to put him to death because he's going to constantly come back and plague you to get that chair again. This chair is secured. He will never, ever move. And some of you use exchange life diagrams that put self on the middle and then Christ on the middle and then back to self on the middle and then back to Christ on the middle. But I'm here to tell you, he will not get off that chair for yourself, life. He won't. This is a permanent seating place once the true salvation, once he truly possesses this temple. It's permanent. Satan thinks he's going to have rule over the world through this temple that's going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem, but I'm here to tell you it's the wrong chair. Satan is a god of the external. He thinks everything has to do with worldly fables. The truth is that chair is in heaven. He's about to learn that. He's going to be pretty ripped up about it. He was tricked. He wasn't tricked. It was clearly laid out in the doctrines where the true throne of, of the Son is. Someone want to tell me after today's message where it is? Where is his throne? It is heaven by eternal perspective and by literal perspective it is where? It's in us. You think he was joking when he said that you are the temple, the seating place? The triunit of the temple is the innermost room, which is where the presence of God was and is. You have the outer room. That's where the high priest did his thing. And then you have the outer courts. To think that we only have two parts in the temple, it's just ridiculous to me. Nothing in Scripture matches up to this. Nothing in creation matches up to it. We are the temple. You go do a study on the old temple and you will learn a lot about your new covenant living. So finishing with this. James 4 verse 5 says, Or do you not think that the scriptures speak to no purpose? James is Jesus' half-brother. He goes on to say, He, meaning God, jealously, jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. God is very, very interested in the relationship between the Holy Spirit in us and himself. We are given the privilege to ride along with that worship, to ride along with that fellowship, to ride along with that intimacy. So we have made worship so much about us that we forget the real desire of the Father. He jealously desires to have the fellowship and worship with the Spirit who he made to dwell within each of the body members. When we truly abide in Christ, we are allowing a release of the Spirit to have holy communion with the Father through us. We are given the gift of joining a Holy Spirit worship that is actually supposed to take place within our souls. Therefore, when we preach, pray, sing, give out offerings, when we are actually in the process or in the middle of joining the Holy Spirit who has already maintained fellowship, uh, life with God the Father through us. So we are joining the Holy Spirit and that prerogative gives us access to the throne of God Whatever God has got going with, on with the Holy Spirit in intimacy with the Holy Spirit inside us, we get the free gift of being a part of that. It isn't about you. It's not about your happiness. 
whether you divorce or don't divorce, whether you're obedient or not obedient. It's not about your sacrifices. It's not about your offerings. It's about the Holy Spirit in you. And you are joining the release of a dynamic relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we are partakers in that in Christ Jesus. That's what it's about. How in the world can you jump in and enjoy that adoption process unless you understand how it all works? So we're going to spend the next six preaching sessions on detailing out exactly what it looks like to join the Holy Spirit in you to have sweet fellowship and intimacy with God the Father. And how that process of that one decision of joining the Holy Spirit in you will bring sanctification to your salvation. It will clean you up. Here's our closing identity statement for today. Now that we understand that the Spirit of God has been commissioned by the Father to have freedom in us to worship in unity, we can magnify Him through our adoration, through our lips, through our character, through our own personal power in Him, and His presence, which means the presence of our husband, in and through us. So you see, abiding in Christ is at the core of our being. For without true and Christ is life understanding abiding in us, it is impossible to please Him. Let Him alone worship His Father in and through us, through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, discipline comes from the root word disciple. Disciple is the label that we are given by our husband to identify ourselves as bridal members. To be disciplined is to function as an honorable and obedient servant of our teacher, Jesus Christ. To resist that will actually stop the process of sanctification that God so eagerly desires to take place in our lives. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.